You're listening to the Steve Word Radio, the podcast where we ask, what the f*** does young cancer survivorship mean? With me, Helen King, and guests. Subscribe and rate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. What I'd like to start with is what does survivorship mean to you? Yeah, and that is a big question. And I'm not sure why, but I have an aversion to the word survivor for myself, not necessarily for others. And the reason being, I think I'm worried that calling myself a survivor will jinx it in one way. I'm only a year out from finishing treatment. And I don't know that I would feel confident using that word until I hit the two or maybe even the five-year mark, because at five years, they say that's when we go back into the gen pop risk pool. So I feel like that fear of relapse as a constant threat kind of tempers that urge to use that word. Then I also feel like survivor is used for people that have, I don't know, done something exceptional. And I'm not saying fighting cancer isn't exceptional, but I just did what I was told to do. I didn't quit. I did treatment and what my doctor said to do, except for not eating sushi. I didn't listen to that one. I don't feel like I've done enough in a way to earn that word. But for me, in this space of having finished treatment and being NED, no evidence of disease or in remission or whatever you want to call it, what that means to me is the process of moving on and not letting it control your life by any means, but also not forgetting that it happened. And so it's an odd balance. It's not something to dwell on constantly, I don't think, but it also, it happened and, and it does shape you in some ways and it's important to acknowledge and that's just going to be part of you going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I understand that hesitation with survivor. I think it is, it's almost like a loaded word in so many ways because we've put so many, I guess, meanings and attachment to what a survivor is and what that means. And I guess my aversion for it has slowly changed over the years, Hmm. but I still don't love it because I get that as well of, yeah, what if I'm jinxing myself by saying, you know, I'm a cancer survivor because it's just that constant sort of little voice saying, what if it comes back? I guess paint the picture or set the scene for us of what was going on when you were diagnosed. What was life like? So things were crazy. My symptoms started in April of 2020. COVID was pretty new. We were about a month into COVID. I was living in downtown Chicago with my husband and my baby that was under a year old. We were both working remotely from our condo with a baby. (laughs) It was crazy times. And so do you want to hear like the whole diagnosis story? Yeah, yeah. Talk us through it. I mean, it's an important part, I think, of what's happened. So it was the end of April 2020. And I noticed I had what I thought was just a sore muscle on the Mm. top of my right collarbone. And my dad happened to be visiting. I asked him what it was because he's a surgeon. And so we're always asking him random things. Yeah, And he's never concerned. If anybody who's grown up with parents in the medical field, they're typically (laughs) the least sympathetic Uh people you could go to for your ailments growing up. But he was actually concerned, which was strange for me. I mean, he had never been concerned before about anything I've brought to him. And he told me to go to my doctor immediately. And the only doctor I had was an OBGYN because I was a a very healthy 32-year-old. You know, I've run marathons, had a baby, a beautiful, healthy baby. Nothing has ever been wrong with me. And so my OB originally wanted to do a telehealth visit because of COVID. I mean, 
it was running rampant and we didn't know anything about it at the time. But I did push to go into the office. And by the time I got to my appointment five days later, I had another bump on the back of my neck. And so we thought that perhaps it was a reaction to some sort of infection, or we thought that maybe I had had COVID the month before because I was sick. But at that point, you couldn't get tests unless you really needed hospitalization. So we thought, yeah, maybe this is COVID or, or mono or something else. So let's sit on it for a month. If it doesn't go away, then we'll take next steps, but it'll probably go away in the next month. And I asked my OB, I said, we're about to start trying, like now I wanted to start this week, start trying to get pregnant again. Can I do that? Or do I really need to wait until we check this out? And she said, you need to wait. Let's just see what this is before you get pregnant again. Yeah. All right, fine. And I was very annoyed to have to wait a month to have another kid. Over that month, at the exact same time, I started having back spasms, which I thought was because of poor posture, working from home, or I don't know, I had a baby or whatever, you know, I had no idea that these things were associated in any way. But then over the next month, I started developing more lymph nodes all along the sides of my neck and my armpits. And then my back spasms started getting more intense and more frequent. I'm pretty tough. I have a pretty high pain tolerance. I was curled up in a ball crying. I mean, I was also nursing at this time still. And I just remember trying to lie flat on the floor because it didn't hurt as bad, trying to nurse my child and just crying, but trying to relax so I could get milk out. It was just awful. But yeah, I'm like, oh, I just need to do some yoga. (laughs) I need to do some yoga. That'll make this better. But it got to the point where I just had to start taking, I think it was three ibuprofen every four hours, just on the clock. And that was the only thing that helped. After a month of this, called my doctor and they got me in for a ultrasound. They couldn't Mm. get me in for another two weeks or something. And so that kind of began the whole fighting with the healthcare system to get diagnosed. But luckily... My dad was around again and I showed him the lymph node before I got the ultrasound and the other ones that had popped up and he was like, you need to go get treated. Like, what are you talking about? Just treat me. Just do whatever needs to be done. He goes, you don't understand. Like, I cannot, it is ethically wrong. I can't treat you in this situation. Like, what is wrong with me? He was like, it could be cancer. Like, what? I don't have cancer. I am healthy. This time I was now 33. Like I'm yeah. 33, I'm fine. I don't have cancer. <laughs> but lo and behold, I did. So, listener, so, it was cancer. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but luckily, having him or having somebody that knew the healthcare system helped me get my diagnosis. Within 10 days, I was able to go from initial ultrasound to meeting with a hematologist, getting a couple CAT scans, getting a PET scan, getting a biopsy, and meeting with my oncologist. And a lot of it was just advocating for myself and pushing. The surgeon said they couldn't get me in for a week or two to get a biopsy. And I went to his office. I just knew his picture from Google. And I accosted him in his hallway and said, look, get this lymph node. I just need you to biopsy this. Just see me really quick and we'll schedule it. This is going to be so easy. I said, all right, all right, fine. They scheduled me for surgery and we got it all done. Within 10 days, I had my diagnosis, which was nice because I know a lot of people, especially people in my age group, getting your diagnosis is a struggle that people are fighting with for years because nobody expects it to be cancer. People are always looking for another reason you're having whatever symptom it is. Oh, and my diagnosis, as you mentioned. So I had Hodgkin's lymphoma, stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. So that's why it was, I was having so much back pain is because 
in addition to all the spots in my neck and my armpit. It was also, uh, it didn't my spine and my bone marrow and my chest. It was pretty much everywhere in my hip. It was all over the place, but it was almost not a relief, but it was nice to know that, all right, I'm going to do something that's going to stop this pain that's been excruciating. Wow. One thing I will say with Hodgkin's though, is that stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma is still pretty treatable. I mean, when a doctor says you have stage four cancer, I mean, that's really upsetting, but I was fortunate enough that the cancer I had does have a very high cure rate. This, it amazes me because I had breast cancer and so stage four, that would be a pretty scary you know, scenario to be dealing with. I want to skip back a little bit because my little brain is going, oh my goodness. The New Zealand healthcare system isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. No, not at all. But we have a public system we, and we also have, if you have insurance or you can pay for it, you can access private care. And so Mm -hmm. I'm curious in terms of you having to advocate for yourself, was that because of COVID? Was it because of insurance or because like so many of us when we're younger, we're told, oh no, that person's far too young to have cancer. So that's not an urgent matter. Truly a lot of it, I think, was because of COVID and provider availability. Yeah. Because they were trying not to have people come in unless it was incredibly necessary. And availability was limited. And then also how the system is set up, a lot of times you're not talking to a provider's office specifically. Sometimes you're talking to a scheduler who just, they pick whatever slot is open. So a lot was just knowing what I needed to do and Mm. pushing until I was able to get it done. And again, I wouldn't have known this if I didn't have somebody that had been working in the healthcare system for decades. So very fortunate. I would have been waiting and waiting and waiting for all these different appointments. I had my biopsy, my surgery on a Tuesday and my first appointment with my oncologist was on Thursday. My pathology report was not even ready yet, but my dad told me it would get to the office, tell the receptionist to call the clinicians to check for your report. And if it's not ready, to call the radiologist. So that's what we did. My oncologist was calling radiology while I was waiting to meet him for the first time. It's just things like that that you have to push and you can't just accept the first thing somebody tells you sometimes. If you need something and this is your care and nobody knows or cares about you as much as you do, you need to push for what you need. And that can be so hard. I know that for some people culturally, you don't question people Mm -hmm. in authority. or authority. Yeah. And doctors are often put up on a pedestal of someone that you don't question because they know Mm -hmm. a lot. I think especially when you are younger and I hear it so often as well that you're told, oh, no, it's far too young to be anything. Don't worry Mm -hmm. about it. That ability to push for yourself becomes even more important. It's okay to be annoying a little bit in these types of situations. You need to take care of yourself. Yeah. I often tell people that too because I was told I was too young because I went to it. How old were you? I was 37 and I found a lump in my breast and I ended up going to an after-hours doctor because I was, this is a bit weird, and was told, oh, you know, don't worry, you're too young for it to be anything sinister. Probably within a month of that, I was booked in for a mastectomy. I tell people as well, even if someone messages me and says, oh, I think I found something, I'm really scared, I don't want to see it. Because, you know, people sometimes do play ostrich and go, oh, I'm just going to ignore this. Yeah. And I would say to them, go and get it done. If they say, oh, no, don't worry about it, push for it, because it's better off. I get a mm-hmm. mammogram or an ultrasound or a blood test and have that peace of mind than 
assume that you're being a burden or that you're being a hypochondriac or something. It's yeah. much better to push. Definitely. My mom actually was diagnosed with breast cancer at 39. Wow. She unfortunately yeah. passed away at 45 from it. A similar thing. They found a lump. She got a mammogram and the mammogram was normal. It's a challenge because we're not medical experts. <laughs> All you can do is ask for more information and try to learn more about your situation and ask as many questions as you can. Yeah, you've highlighted such a problem for people all over the world now that COVID has just put an extra kind of layer of complexity Mm -hmm. and especially medical stuff because our health systems are so overwhelmed now. But something that you wrote about yourself that I think is so relatable and I know for me and I come across so many other younger people who were like this is that before cancer and before perhaps, you know, you had your child, you know, you're a young person, you've got a career, you worked hard, you pushed yourself and those sorts of things. How did cancer change that? How did your cancer diagnosis impact, I guess, the way that you were living? Yeah. And I don't want to be corny about it because there's one (laughs) aspect of it where people think you get a cancer diagnosis and all of a sudden you're just like enlightened. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) yeah. I see the world in a new way and, and I truly value life. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of corniness. Or, yeah. Did you ever watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yes. Okay. And there's one episode where they keep talking about how someone is a stage four. They have a stage yeah. four cancer diagnosis. So you have to listen to everything they say. They, just, they have this insight that you have to listen to. And, <laughs> and so with, I'll try to avoid being like that. But truly... I think that my diagnosis did help me take a little bit of a step back. I actually worked through a good portion of my treatment until I realized that was stupid. I was getting sicker and sicker. It was harder and harder for me to, one, keep up with work and also take care of myself. So eventually I did take a medical leave. At first, I felt a little bit of a failure. Oh, why can't I keep this up? Which is crazy. Chemo is hard. It's so hard. And after my diagnosis, A couple of big things have changed. The biggest is I've been living in downtown Chicago for over a decade. So is my husband. And we actually had helped us decide to move back near my family, which is a very big change. I'm now in Northeast Ohio, which is very different than the city of Chicago. But the whole experience made us realize that we just wanted more family closer. It just shifted priorities a little bit. And then also, I still care about work. I'm still driven and I work really hard, but I think I have a much better balance after work hours. If there's not something that needs to be done, I don't need to just keep working for the sake of working. I'm alive to be alive. I'm here to spend time with my child and my husband and my family. Um, And I just think it makes that decision a little bit easier to make. It helps you realize the importance of certain things a little bit better. Absolutely. I feel like a lot of people, not after COVID just yet, are coming to that same realization that it's not worth it anymore. It's just like working yourself into the ground or being completely stressed out just really isn't worth it. You know, people are really coming to that conclusion that there is so much more to life than your job or trying to sort of push for this, I guess, higher, more and all of that sort of stuff. I don't know if I'm explaining this very well, but I've kind of been noticing it with people that since having to work from home and, you know, really being with their families, that a lot of people are really reconsidering their priorities. Definitely. I'm feeling the same thing. I think that 
a cancer diagnosis perhaps expands on on what people are feeling already from COVID yeah. and having two at the same time it's double whammy <laughs> but I think as well I know from my experience where you go through this enormous event in your life where your world stops all of a sudden it's sort of life or death you're facing your mortality and after that you just can't put up with small things anymore yeah. it's just sort of like oh, it doesn't matter no yeah. no it totally shifts yeah so what has it been like moving back to a smaller town with your family you've spent a decade away in a much larger city was that transition hard yes I mean I'm still in the middle of it (laughs) it's definitely different and I don't think it's a cancer thing I'm used to being able to go outside and walk around and go to world-class restaurants just down the street yeah that's not here but there are other good things about being here like space and we get to see my grandmother and and have help with our daughter and and fun things like that I know for a lot of people as well a cancer diagnosis or go through treatment and things it can change friendship or relationship dynamics what's that been like for you how have you found your friendships or relationships during and post your cancer diagnosis. That actually is also part of what made me okay with leaving the city. I think that because my friendships have changed and I think that cancer is a very isolating experience. Unless you've been through it or you've been very close to someone that's been through it, you don't get it. And I don't blame anybody. You just can't understand it. You don't know how hard it is. Some people don't know what to do to help. And again, I can't blame people for that. But during my treatment, it was interesting to see people that I thought would show up and be really helpful weren't. But then on the other side, I had people that came out of the woodwork and were fantastic. And somehow they knew what I needed without even me articulating it. And that meant the world. That's part of what made me realize, I guess I'd prefer to be closer to more family than people that weren't able to show up when I really needed the help. And I don't blame anybody. I get it. You can't understand it. I think it has created some distance on my part um, from people. You know, it's such a common experience as well. And it's interesting that I even described that <laughs> exact same situation where people I thought who would be there weren't. And then I would have one woman who I hadn't seen in person in about 10 years would show up every Tuesday with a meal. Or if she couldn't, she would send something. And I think it is interesting. Yeah. I think cancer is such a confronting thing. And also, unless you've been through it, you don't realize how consuming it is or how tiring or mentally tiring it is. I think it can really change that dynamic in a friendship or a relationship. You just don't realize that that's going to be one of the fallouts of cancer. I think it can either bring out the best or worst in people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is tough because you're going through this whole thing and then you lose some friendships along the way too. Maybe not lose them, but change them. And I think this sort of ties into, I guess, some of those misconceptions that people have about cancer is that you go through it, you have your chemo, your hair starts coming back, you kind of look normal in quotation marks again. And so yeah, there's... What is normal? And then there's this expectation of, oh, you're Jessica again, right? That's okay. Everything's back to normal. But it often isn't. So what's your experience been like? Have you gone back to normal or are you like the rest of us? One of the things I hate is when people say, oh, well, like if I mention something about it, 
oh, well, it's all behind you now. Just look forward. It's not behind me. One, it's hanging over my head every day until I hit that five-year mark. You can't stress that enough. I mean, it is a terrible act hanging above you. Again, I don't hold it against people because I think they're just trying to say something nice. They're just trying to say something. (laughs) But I hate it. I really hate it. It's not all behind me. Not long after I finished treatment, I got together with some friends and somebody said, but you're done now, right? You're good now? I'm not a crier. I burst out crying. I'm like, no, not done. Not done. And I'm fortunate. Like I'm in remission. I responded to treatment. I'm a best case scenario. I'm pregnant. I think I mentioned that. I'm pregnant again. Like best case scenario here. And it's still a struggle. I don't dwell on it. But it's constantly there. And it's interesting. And I've heard this, other people have said this on your podcast as well. During treatment, you have a plan. You know what you need to do. And you are checking the boxes. You are moving through. You're doing what you have to do to survive. And during it, I didn't really necessarily want to talk about it. Not that I was avoiding it. I didn't feel the need. I'm just doing what I have to do. I didn't want to admit how sick I was. Whenever people would ask how I was, I would say, you know, I'm good. I'm great. You know, kind of downplaying it. But now that it's over, now I'm starting to process it. feel like I want to talk about it. But yeah, it's almost like for everybody else, that time has passed. The time where it matters or when people care is one, when you're diagnosed, everybody's all not excited, but all worked up right when you get diagnosed. And then treatment, it's several months. You know, nobody can be that engaged for that long, I guess. But yeah, now it's just figuring out what to do with it all. One thing I wanted to mention that I think is helpful for people in the survivorship space is is connecting with other people that have been in the same situation. And so I think your podcast is great to highlight this, but it's difficult for adolescents and young adults in the space because a lot of resources or groups or what have you are targeted at either pediatric patients or older patients. There's not a lot for us in this space. I ended up I think it was a month or two after I finished treatment. I did find support group through a wonderful organization in Chicago, but I don't know. Most of the people in it were several decades older than me. Mm-hmm. And most of them also had a stage four diagnosis. And it was hard to connect with the people in there, both because we're facing very different challenges at these different times in our lives. I'm trying to take care of a baby and getting my career going and all these things while they were in different spots. Yeah. But then also... As somebody out of treatment, in remission from my diagnosis, for me, it didn't feel right comparing my experience with people that are terminal and are going to die. Um, It's it's a very different space. And I'm not going to complain to them about my struggles post-treatment when they're still in treatment for the rest of their lives. Yeah, that's tough. And I feel like there are a lot of great resources online. I don't know if you look at the cancer patient Instagram. Yeah. yeah. So yes. actually, while I was living in Chicago, I hung out with the person running the page. So that was oh, nice wow. to get, to know, get yeah. to know them. And they organized some meetups and things with other cancer adolescents. Um, it's kind of a narrow space and hard to find other people that get it this yeah. time of their lives. Totally. What I've experienced, and also from my own experience, exactly what you've just said, we're either facing parenting, being through chemo and those sorts of things, which I imagine is a whole other conversation of difficulty and those sorts of things. Or like myself, like you're facing the fact that you probably won't have children. And yeah, then there's the work or career and relationships and those sorts of things. There really isn't a space for us. And so what I've sort of experienced is a lot of us just feel disconnected. It's really 
difficult to go back in the world when everything has been changed so much. And something you said before, I go through phases with TikTok where I can't stop watching it. It's terrible for my brain. (laughs) Because it is so appealing just to have these little short bursts of, oh, this is exciting. But something valuable that I listened to the other day, and it feeds into what you're saying before about when you're in the thick of it and you don't really want to talk about it, which was my experience too. And this man was talking about trauma and especially around COVID and things where things like, I guess, mindfulness or, you know, self-care and some of the things that people say, oh, do those things and make yourself feel better. He said, They don't necessarily work very well when you're in the middle of what's going on because until you are out of it and feel safe, you can't process trauma. And, you know, what we've been through is a trauma. It's a huge trauma to go through a cancer diagnosis or any time. And so it makes so much sense to me when you talk about, yeah, when we're in the middle of it, my brain can't even comprehend sort of expressing my emotions let alone it full of chemo that makes it feel like someone's taking an egg beater to my brain. But afterwards, that's when all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, what on earth just happened? Like what was that? It happened. I still can't believe it happened. No, it's so weird. It took a while, but even actually throughout chemo, I would have these moments where I would wake up with a jolt and in my head I'd be like, oh my God, I've got cancer. Like it was like, this, oh. <laughs> that's awful. That's so terrible. So it was like hearing it for the first time in the middle yeah. of the night, many times. Oh man, yeah. that's awful. <laughs> it is crazy, isn't it? It is really hard for your head to comprehend that, wow, yes. that thing happened to me. That happened and it might happen again. I mean, that's yeah. the other thing. It might yeah. happen again and there's no way to know. It's just, maybe it will. Maybe it won't. We'll just see. Keep an eye out. Yes. Look for any symptoms. What? So that's what my oncologist told me. I'm like, all right. So in the follow up after treatment, so are we going to, if it comes back, if I have a relapse, are we going to find it through blood work? And they said, no, more likely you're going to find it. Like, don't tell me that because now I'm going to freak out and think that it's back all the time. And I know this is very common with people once they've finished treatment, but every twinge, every lower back pain, if I have a night sweat or something, Yep, I'm like, oh God, is this it? And you're immediately put back in that space. Yeah, This could happen again. We could be doing this all over again. And can I do it again? But yeah, I asked myself that too. Could I go through that again? I don't know. I guess you do, but at the same time, I don't know. Yeah, you do it. I mean, yeah, you don't know until you do it and you just get through it. Yeah. And another thing I wanted to point out for our your AYA, adolescents and young adults, or whatever you want to call it, I think that a lot of people in the age group have a difficult situation with care because I think a lot of pediatric patients are going to have their parents ideally helping them. Older patients are more likely to have, I feel like, a partner. Yeah. People in their 20s and 30s, they may very well, they may very well not have somebody there to help yep. take care of them. I'd be remiss if I didn't give my husband a shout out because I was very fortunate to have him taking me to appointments, taking care of our daughter yeah. while working remotely. I mean, he did wow. everything. Yeah. And I don't know, that's another just challenge for people. If you don't have somebody in your life that's able oh, or committed in a way to, to help take care of all the other, the periphery stuff in your life when you're not able to. A lot of different people I've spoken to have struggled with this as well. 
because I imagine as well, you're a mother with a young child. And I think when you're younger, often we're quite self-sufficient. And so when we become very vulnerable and need a lot of help, it's not a position that we've probably found ourselves in before. Mm -hmm. And so that's very challenging as well of all of a sudden being someone that needs a lot of help. I know I struggled with that. I mean, I've joked so many times and it makes me laugh now that I drove myself to radiation every day yeah. for 11 days. Long oh my gosh. Or insane. <laughs> because, <Both>. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because it was that. They're not of, mutually exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's a really hard position to find yourself in all of a sudden mm-hmm. needing to rely on all these people to help you. I definitely pushed it and didn't want to admit I would still, even though it was COVID and I was completely immunocompromised and neutropenic, I still went to the grocery store instead of getting delivery, which I know was stupid. I didn't want to think that I couldn't do it. And so I did it. I mean, it took everything out of me. It was so hard to just lift the bag. And one time I went to the grocery store, I get to the car, I open the trunk and the stroller was still in the trunk and it was kind of big. And so that required me to like lift the bags six oh extra inches to get them in. And I got so mad at my husband, which is ridiculous. He left the stroller in the trunk. That is not a big deal. No. But I got so mad at him, which was not fair at all. It's just, I'm already pushing myself to the max to get to the grocery store. And now I just have to do this extra thing. And I just don't have it in me. Yeah. But I didn't want to admit that. I just wanted to blame him for not taking the stroller out of the trunk. Yes. <laughs> and he handled it like a pro. He was pretty good about letting yeah. me just be a little crazy sometimes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So you, you're expecting your second child, which is amazing. I am. So, I mean, I know pregnancies can differ anyway, pregnancy to pregnancy. Has the pregnancy now, given that you've been through cancer, is it different? Are you? Is it a different experience? Yes. I don't know how much of that is just because it's the second one. I know they're different, but I am so tired. I'm just a lot more tired than with the first one. And I do think got pregnant like six to eight months after I finished treatment with the okay from my oncologist. He said I could give it a shot and see if it works, and it did. So I was really lucky that my fertility wasn't impacted. So I was really, really fortunate with that. Because we did do egg preservation just in case. But oh, wow. Yeah. Really lucked out. And in the cancer space, it's a really sensitive subject for people, understandably. So yeah. try to be sensitive about that. My body is, I'm just really tired. And this is vain, but it's hard having your body change a lot very quickly. Yeah. And then coupling that with, I hate my hair. Like, this is not my <laughs> hair. I, it's still growing in. It's weird. I'm in the mullet phase. And, yeah. and there's not a lot you can do about it. You have to power through. So having my body be completely different than I'm used to and my hair at the same time, I just don't even recognize myself. It's funny, though, because I get what you're saying in the terms of, on the one hand, we're taught looks, don't worry about that because it's, you know, a superficial thing or whatever. But I kind of feel that when your body has changed so much because of something that's completely out of your control, it's actually hard to deal with. 
because they know, yeah, pregnancy must change your body so much. I imagine it would be really challenging. On top of that, your body has been through this enormous experience with cancer and whether you've lost all your hair or you've had surgery, which means that your body looks different now or it's missing something or you have a scar or chemo's impacted your body. Those things are slightly harder to deal with than, oh, your body changes over time because it's like, well, yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But when it's due to the fact that you've had this enormous sort of health event, yeah, I kind of feel that those things are slightly harder to deal with than your usual, your body's changing over time. You're a little bit more emotional when you're pregnant. And when I was pregnant the first time, when I felt yeah. not like myself, I would do my hair and make it nice. But yeah. now it's still growing back. I can't do it. But oh, I'm yeah. exhausted. So I just have mop hair and a strange body. <laughs> but I'm happy about it and, and appreciate it. Yeah. You're allowed to be both, I reckon. I think you're allowed Thank to you. hold both and be annoyed and happy and all of those things. It'd be so cool to be able to talk to you. I always appreciate hearing people's perspectives and their experiences because I think what I'm learning is that you know even with different cancers we do often really share a common experience even if there are variations and differences and stuff the common experience is often the loneliness the isolation the confusion the how do I grieve now and all of that stuff and I feel like being able to share these things with people may I don't know maybe we can create the space that hasn't been left Mm -hmm. for us Well, thank you for doing your part to help that along. Yeah. And just before we finish up, what is your biggest, I guess, recommendation or piece of advice for anyone that may be coming out of treatment? What would you recommend might help them for where they are? I think trying to find other people that have been in a similar situation. I didn't realize that a lot of times your cancer center will have adolescent and young adult cancer groups or just looking online and just being able to hear that other people have the same experiences or thoughts, what have you, is so validating and just makes it a little bit less isolating. And I think, as we know, only other people that have been through it get it. So that would be my number one piece of advice. And then also, everybody says this, but just feel how you want to feel. There's no right or wrong way to do it. I highly recommend celebrating the wins doing the cancerversary cake if you want to celebrate being alive absolutely well jessica thank you so much it's just been such a pleasure to talk to you you too helen thank you so much if you ever need people for whatever like i really believe in what you're doing and i think it's fantastic thanks so much for listening the c word is every sunday at 11 55 a.m on auckland's 104.6 planet fm and anytime at www.com planetaudio.org.nz forward slash the C word.
can fuck with me if you wanted to. These expensive, these is red bottoms, these is bloody shoes. Hit the score, I can get them both, I don't wanna choose. And I'm quick, cut a nigga off, so don't get comfortable. Look, I don't dance now, I make money move. Say, I don't gotta dance, I make money move. If I see you now speak, that means I don't fuck with you. I'm a boss, you a worker, bitch, I make bloody moves. Now she say, she gon' do what or who? Let's find out and see. Cardi B, you know where I'm at, you know where I be. You in the club, just to party, I'm there, I get paid a fee. I be in and out them bend so much, I know they tired of me. Honestly, don't give a fuck about who in front of me. Drop two mixtapes in six months. What bitch working as hard as me? I don't bother with these hoes. Don't let these hoes bother me. They see pictures, they say ghosts. Bitch, I'm who they tryna be. Look, I might just chill in some babe. I might just chill with your boo. I might just spill on your babe. My pussy feel like a lake. He wanna swim with his face. I'm like, okay. I let him get what he want. He buy me East and Laurent and the new rib. When I go fast as a horse, I got the trunk. I'm the hottest in the street. No, you probably heard of me. Got a bag and fix my teeth. Hope you hoes know it ain't cheap. And I pay my mama bills. I ain't got no time to chill. Think these hoes be mad at me. They baby father run a bill. Say, little bitch, you can fuck with me if you wanted to. These expensive, these is red bottoms, these is bloody shoes. Hit the score, I can get them both. I don't wanna choose. And I'm quick, cut a nigga off. So don't get comfortable, look, I don't dance now, I make money move, say I don't gotta dance, I make money move, if I see you now and speak, that means I don't fuck with you, I'm a boss, you a worker, bitch, I make bloody moves, if you a pussy, you get popped, you a goofy, you a up. don't you come around my way, you can't hang around my block, and I just check my account, turns out I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich, I put my hand above my hip, I bet you dip, he dip, she dip, I say, I get the money and go, this shit is hot like a stove, my pussy glitter is gold, so that little bitch play her role, I just a rope and no rolls, I just came up in a rave, I need to fill up the tank, no, I need to fill up the safe, I need to let all these hoes know that none of them niggas is safe. Dinner and steak, only the real can relate. I used to live in the peace, now it's a crib with a gay. Rolly got charms, the life was the place. Hard to let these bitches know, just in case these hoes forgot. I just wanna check the mail, another check from all the little bitch, you can fuck with me if you wanted to. These expensive, these is red bottoms, these is bloody shoes. Hit the store, I can get them both, I don't wanna choose. And I'm quick, cut a nigga off, so don't get comfortable. Look, I don't dance now, I make money move. Say, I don't gotta dance, I make money move. If I see you now and speak, that means I don't fuck with you. I'm a boss, you a worker, bitch, I make bloody moves. Bloody moves. Came back in black, 
I'm starting saying rest in peace to Bon Scott. Hey, close that door, we blowing smoke. She asked me light a fire like a awesome. Hey, Act a fool on stage, probably leave my fucking show in a cop car. Hey, shit was legendary through a TV I don't even know what I'm on Cocaine on the table, liquor porn, don't give a damn. Dude, your girlfriend is a goofy, she just trying to get in. Saying I'm with the band. Ay, ay. Now she acting out of pocket, trying to grab up on my pants. On that bitches in my trailer, said I ain't got a man. And they all brought a friend. Yeah, ay. I've been fucking hoes and popping pillies, man. I feel just like a rock star. I've been in the hills, fucking superstars, feeling like a pop star. Drinking any bad bitches, jumping in the pool, and I ain't got on no bra. Hit her front of back, pulling on the tracks, and now she's screaming out, no more. Savage, why you got a 12 car garage and you only got six cars? I ain't with the cake and how you kiss that. Your wifey say I'm looking like a whole snap. Green honeys in my safe, I got old racks. LA bitches always asking where the coke at. Living like a rock star, smash out on a cop car. Sweeter than a pop tart. You know you are not hard. I done made the hot chart. Remember I used to chop hard. Living like a rock star, I'm living like a rock star. I've been fucking hoes and popping pillies, man, I feel just like a rock star. All my brothers got that gas and they always be smoking like a rock star. Fucking with me, call up on the Uzi and show up, man, them the shot toss. When my homies pull up on your block, they make that thing go gratatata. My life ain't mine. Who can relate? I've been on a low. I've been taking my time. I feel like I'm out of my mind. It feel like my life ain't mine. I don't wanna be alive. I don't wanna be alive. I just wanna die today. I just wanna die. Tell you why. 
of the shit I'm talking about, they think they know it. I've been praying for somebody to say me no one's heroic in my life. Don't even matter, I know it, I know it, I know I'm hurting deep down, but can't show it. I never had a place to call my own, I never had a home. Ain't nobody calling my phone, where you been, where you at, what's on your mind? They say every life precious, but nobody care about mine. I've been on the low, I've been taking my time. I feel like I'm out of my mind. It feel like my life ain't mine. Who can
Y se baila así Estamos rompiendo la discoteca La fiesta no para pena comienza Se come se come Ma chérie La 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 Francia Colombia, me gusta Freeze, y Balvin, Willy William, me gusta Freeze, los DJ no mienten, le gusta mi gente y eso se fue muy bien. No le bajamos, mas nunca paramos, es otro palo y blanco. ¿Y dónde está mi gente? Me fue a bocher la tête. ¿Y dónde está mi gente? Pero lo tengo en mis manos Estoy muy duro, sí, ok, ahí vamos Y con el tiempo nos seguimos elevando Que seguimos rompiendo aquí Esta fiesta no tiene fin Botellas para arriba, sí Los tengo bailando, rompiendo y yo sigo aquí Que seguimos rompiendo aquí Esta fiesta no tiene fin Botellas para arriba, sí Los tengo bailando, rompiendo ¿Y dónde está mi gante? Me fue a la tête ¿Y dónde está mi gante? Sí, 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 sí. Close to me, even though you mean the most to me. 
Cause every time I open up it hurts So I'm never gonna get too close to you Even when I mean the most to you In case you go and leave me in the dirt But every time you hurt me the less that I cry And every time you leave me the quicker these tears dry And every time you I'm way too good at goodbye. 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 I know you're thinking I'm heartless. I know you're thinking I'm cold. I'm just protecting my innocence. I'm just protecting my soul I'm never gonna let you close to me Even though you mean the most to me Cause every time I open up it hurts So I'm never gonna get too close to you Even when I mean the most to you In case you go and leave me in the dirt Too good to 